0: Welcome to Global Perspectives, the International Insolvency Institute's podcast. Welcome, and thank you for listening to the second episode of Global Perspectives. Throughout this podcast series, the International Insolvency Institute intends to highlight not just relevant insolvency news and decisions, but also new restructuring tools. Currently, many jurisdictions are undergoing legislative changes to their insolvency regime. On this episode, we will feature a discussion of Brazil's adoption and implementation of the UNC trial model law on cross-border insolvency. We are fortunate enough to have with me on this episode, Sergio Save, the head of BMA's Restructuring and Insolvency Team in Rio, Ana Carolina Montenegro, the head of Kincaid's Restructuring and Insolvency Team, also in Rio, and Nayana Abru Miller, the head of the Brazil Practice for Socorro Law, located in Miami. With that, I will turn it over to you, Nayana. Thank you, Evan. Thank you for inviting us to be on the podcast. It is, in fact, a very exciting time for Brazilian insolvency practitioners. And for me, as an outsider located in Miami, who has been listening to Brazilian academics, lawyers, and judges talk for many years about the need to adopt the model law, I was really impressed by how much support there was in the local insolvency community, really at all levels, um, in order to push the model law through Congress in Brazil. It seems to me that the effort to educate the bankruptcy bar and the bench about the importance of the model law, it served not only to get over that first hurdle, that of enacting the legislation, but it continues to pay off because those efforts prepared practitioners to put the model law into practice, and it prepared judges to accept that, well, we do things differently in these cross-border cases. Um, But I'm not the person most qualified to talk about what it looks like in practice. We have with us today two Brazilian lawyers who are um, and have been experiencing it firsthand. So Ana, let's go to you first. After the law went into effect in January 2021, you filed the first case in Brazil seeking recognition for a foreign proceeding under the model law. So before we jump right in to talk about that, can you give me like an executive summary of the most notable differences between the Brazilian law and the model law.
1: Yes, Nayana. thank you for the question. I also like to thank even for inviting us to on to be on the podcast. The Brazilian law is very loyal to the text of the model law. But let me just highlight some unique features of the Brazilian law. First, the po- public prosecutor's office will oversee and have the power to intervene in cross-border bankruptcies. Second, there is an anti commie manipulation provision in which the foreign case will be recognized as a non principal proceeding. If the debtor's commie has been transferred or manipulated with the aim of transferring jurisdiction to file the case to another country. Third, according to Brazilian law on judicial reorganization and bankruptcy, the foreign non-proceeding includes jurisdiction where the debtor has place of business or assets, as opposed to the establishment concept in the model law. Uh, It is important to mention that Brazilian bankruptcy law introduces broad powers to local bankruptcy courts regarding available relief. Judges can grant any relief measures that may be necessary. Finally, Article 167X of Brazilian bankruptcy law determines that the main transnational b- bankruptcy case can only be finalized after the closure of the main proceeding or after the verification that there are no assets
0: remaining. Whoops, I was on mute. <laughs> Thank you for that summary, Anna. Um, but for the real UNCITRAL nerds out there, um, they will have to click on the links in the show notes in order to learn more. I know that was, that was only a very brief summary. Um, because, Anna, we really want to talk about um, the very first inbound cross-border case file, filed under the new Brazilian law. Your firm represented the Singapore debtor who sought recognition in Brazil. So let me start by asking you who were the debtors and why did they need recognition in Brazil?
1: Well, ProSafe, Prosafe rigs is a Singapore company, incorporated and headquartered in Singapore. Prosafe SE. It's an Norwegian affiliated. Most of the financing for the corporate group was governed by Singapore law, so that is naturally where their restructuring began. Also. The legal framework in Singapore was more friendly and much faster than the liquidation in Norway. Regarding the recognition in Brazil, ProSafe SE and ProSafe Rigs needed to protect three vessels located in Brazil. Two of them was contracted by Petrobras and the revenue was essential for the scheme of arrangements. So, In December 2019, ProSafe SE and ProSafe Riggs initiated discussions with their creditors regarding a possible financial restructuring process. In April 2021, after discussing with them, over 95% of secure creditors supported the filing of the moratorium before the Singapore High Court. ProSafe SC and ProSafe Riggs then presented a request granting of a, for granting of moratorium protection before the Singapore High Court, which was granted for a period of five months. Moratorium in general allowed the Norwegian company ProSafe SC and ProSafe Riggs to protect their assets in a period period prior to the start of the restructuring proceeding.
0: You know, it's always interesting to me to understand the dynamics behind the scenes in a case like this. I think a lot of insolvency practitioners are excited about the new law, but there are not a lot of business people who really want to be the (laughs) guinea pig. Um, But uh, here, what you're telling us is that for the ProSafe companies, protecting these valuable assets was important enough that they signed up for this uh, great social experiment. So what happened next?
1: Yes, the protection of the vessels were essential for the restructuring, notably because the revenues from Petrobras. For this reason, in June. 2021, Prosafe SE and Prosafe Riggs filed a claim before the Court of Rio de Janeiro seeking the recognition of a foreign insolvency proceedings, so that provisional provisional relief could be granted to the debtor. Provisional relief was also requested temporarily to temporarily suspend any enforcement proceedings, or any other measures individually taken by the creditors against the debtors or their assets.
0: I know that early on when the law was passed in Brazil, there was some discussion in Brazil about what court would have jurisdiction over these applications for recognition. So what court heard the application and and how long did it take after filing before the provisional relief was granted?
1: The application was heard on an expedite basis and it was granted 20 days after we filed it. It was filed and ruled by the commercial division of the state court in Rio de Janeiro, the same court that hears domestic bankruptcy matters. After some meetings with the judge, the court rendered the decision stated that The case must receive transnational insolvency treatment as it fulfilled the formal requirements established in the Brazilian bankruptcy law. It also recognized the existence of the foreign insolvency proceeding in progress before the High Court of Singapore as foreign main proceedings and granted the anticipation of the intended relief determining one the suspension of any of enforcement or any measures individually taken by creditors relating to the debtor, debtor's assets, the tooling of the statute of limitation for any judicial executions against ProSafe SE and ProSafe Rigs. This decision also protected the three vessels from any
0: arrests. So that was the provisional relief that's available under Article 19 of the Model Law, which is available where such relief is urgently needed. And I understand that the recognition proceedings in Singapore did successfully result in a scheme of arrangement?
1: Yes, that's correct. In November 2021, The court granted recognition of the decision that ratified the scheme of arrangements so that the effects of the decision can be replicated in Brazil.
0: Well, I do love a happy ending, but let's give this story a touch of drama by bringing in a critic, um, Sergio. Uh, give us your take on the ProSafe cases, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, Please speak to us from the universalist point of view, as someone who has seen the UNCITRAL model law benefit Brazilian clients who have obtained recognition under Chapter 15 in the United States, and as someone who wants to see the model law take hold and develop uh, properly in Brazil. First of all, let's talk about the good. What went well in the ProSafe cases?
2: Thank you, Niana. Thank you, everyone. Morning. Thank you. you for inviting me for this podcast. Well, first of all, we cannot deny the process case is a good example that Brazilian courts will take cross-border insolvency rules seriously. In my view, the best part of the rulings in those cases is that the Brazilian court granted the foreign representative direct access to our judiciary in order to request the recognition of those international insolvency cases. We can also see that our new rules indeed made it possible to achieve one of the model law goals, which is having a simple and expedite proceeding for recognition of foreign insolence proceedings. Okay.
0: okay, so this was a Brazilian court's first experience in recognizing a foreign proceeding. What do you think will need to change as Brazil sees more requests for recognition and becomes more accustomed to implementing the model law?
2: Well, uh, if we take a careful look in the details of the case, we notice that our courts do have a lot to learn from countries with longer experience with cross-border rules. It is important to highlight that the processive case was not contested or challenging in any way. And eventually, because of that lack of dispute, the rulings ended up being so, so poor in relation to some really important legal issues. While ruling on a recognition request, the Brazilian court has to decide whether to recognize the international case as a foreign main or non-main proceeding. The distinctions is really important because the effects of recognition are different in each case. A recognition of foreign main proceeding triggers the following mandatory automatic effects. One, the stay of creditors actions to collect debt and attacks against debtor assets. two the suspension of the status of limitations, and three, ineffectiveness of any transfer of debtors non-current assets without prior court authorization. On the other hand, the recognition of a foreign non-main proceeding has no automatic effects and the reliefs available are more limited. In the first ProSafe ruling, the Comey analysis was limited to only two paragraphs. The court referred to ProSafe's corporate charts mentioned that ProSafe SE is a parent company with headquarters in Norway, that such parent company controls several other companies, and that five of them have headquarters in Singapore. Based only on those facts and without any other piece of evidence, the court concluded that Singapore is the place where most contracts are executed and where creditors recognize the company as being located. Honestly, among us, I don't know how the court came to that conclusion. Therefore, the court said, Singapore was the same t- as at the same time the company, both for PerSafe Norway and for the corporate group as a whole. The ruling did not do an analysis of the place the debtor conducts the administration of its interests on a regular basis, and that is, as a consequence, ascertainable by third parties, as indicated in the Isu trial guide on enactment of the Model Law. The second ruling for PerSafe Riks Limited has only one paragraph on its common analysis. The court recognized the case filed in Singapore as a foreign main proceeding, only because it was filed where Per Safe has its headquarters. Apart from being really shallow on its common analysis, the relief granted was broader than it's supposed to be. The court ordered the stay of all enforcement proceedings against the claimant's assets, including three vessels located in Brazil. However, the Safe Heroes vessel is not an asset of any of the debtors in the foreign proceedings. The Comey analysis and the injunctions granted suggest that the court did not make a pure entity by entity analysis, but rather a group one, which is somehow contrary to the model model law guide on cross-border group insolvency. This becomes even more clear when you take a deeper look at the first ruling issued in the ProSafe-Riggs case. At first, the Brazilian court dismissed the case without prejudice on the basis that by recognizing the Norwegian parent case as a foreign main proceeding, the whole corporate group was already protected and there was no need for a second finding only for per se Since COMI is a total new concept in Brazil and determining, determining the debtor's COMI is one of the most important steps in cross border insolvency proceedings, we should have a consistent interpretation of such concept. In order to do so, we should not only look to the neutral guides on the model law, but also learn from those countries that have a longer experience with such rules. Niana, just before I conclude, there's one procedural aspect of the US chapter 15 that eventually should be considered by Brazilian courts when faced with, with inbound recognition requests. In the US, and you may correct me if I'm wrong, after the filing for recognition, the court orders a hearing for at least 21 days after the filing. Those 21, those 21 days plus the hearing itself gives the court and the parties enough time to produce the necessary evidence to convince the court about where COM is located. In Brazil, we have no rules provided for such a re- hearing or a minimal time for it to happen before a ruling is issued on the recognition re- requests. And this could lead to a very brief analysis on COMI and such analysis is such, so important for uh, insolvent, cross-border insolvency proceedings. So eventually we should consider adopting something similar to what you have in the US so that we can do a deeper analysis on COMI and then the court will be more uh, ready to, to make such a determination. Thank you, Niana.
0: Thank you, Sergio. and. Um... I know we could certainly talk about this topic in greater detail, uh, but we promise to give everyone just a quick update on the model law in Brazil. And so if anyone listening wants to know more, there are links in the show notes to articles written by the three of us on this topic, as well as to other resources. And you can also find our contact information in the show notes and get in touch with us if you'd like to continue the conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Global Perspectives. This podcast has been brought to you by the International Insolvency Institute. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play.